to Internet Marketing for Humans, digestible internet marketing insight and advice to help you grow your business. Hello and welcome back to Internet Marketing for Humans. I'm your host Andrew Laws and it might not surprise you to know that I'm a human. This week I'm going back to basics. I'm going to talk about Zen and the simple art of digital marketing. I like to kind of do these little refresher episodes every now and then. I mean, if you're new to the podcast, then it's less a refresher and uh, more an introduction. But let's do this anyway. Right. So first of all, a little bit about me. My name's Andrew Laws, as I think you've probably guessed by now. I am a digital marketing professional, um, SEO professional. My background is very much in SEO, but SEO isn't always the right tool to use in digital marketing. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff we do. I'm also a musician, a cyclist, and occasionally I mow the grass at our allotment. I can't really take credit for for anything more than that. So this episode is kind of an introduction into digital marketing as a whole, but very much with an emphasis on trying to get across the point that you can do a lot of digital marketing yourself, and it doesn't have to be super complicated. So I'd like you to take just a moment and see if you can think of three things. What are the first three things that pop into your head when I say digital marketing? Now, I'd like you to jot down three things or just kind of lodge them in your mind for a moment. These can be anything. They can be types of digital marketing. They can be methods of digital marketing, so channels or websites or whatever. Anything you like. And then we're going to play this little game of digital marketing bingo. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think, and then I'm going to read a list very fast of a bunch of digital marketing things. And if you get three of these things, then congratulations, you've got a full house of digital marketing bingo. The idea behind this is just to try and show you how broad digital marketing is, and then I'm going to explain why that doesn't really matter. Obviously, I can't pause for a long time because it would just be kind of dead air, but... If you've got those three things, here comes the list. SEO, search engine optimization, email newsletters, email outreach, infographics, PPC, pay-per-click, influencer marketing, reputation management, webinars, WhatsApp groups, ICQ, that's a nice old one, news groups, that's even older, blogging, blog commenting, forum marketing, social media, affiliate marketing, websites, LinkedIn marketing, video marketing, YouTube commenting, Podcasts, paid advertising, content marketing, directories, review marketing, Facebook groups, viral marketing, apps, QR codes, guerrilla marketing, flash mobs, CRM, which means, sorry, CRO, which means conversion rate optimization, competitor research, coupon marketing, joint venture marketing, guest posting, PR, quizzes, lead generation, competitions, Google Alerts, link building, Google My Business, UX, which means user experience, Harrow, which means help a reporter out. Schema marketing, event marketing, and digital strategic partnerships. Wow, what a list, hey? I'd like to try and uh, convince you that was off the top of my head, but no, I had to I had to write that down. So out of that list, did you get a full house at Digital Marketing Bingo? Did you get three things? If so, then, well, you're great. If you didn't get three things, then, well, you're still great. I'm, I'm not going to judge you on that. So with the world of digital marketing being so broad, how do you make a choice? I mean, I'm trying to make a choice, if you're presented with a list like that, and believe me, that list is short compared to what, what digital marketing can involve. 
if you're going to try and make a choice out of all those things, then it's going to make your head spin a bit. And the problem with trying to do lots and lots of digital marketing things, trying to do all the digital marketing, is you can end up feeling a bit like a, kind of like a one-man band. You've got the drum on your back. That could be, hmm, let's say, Facebook. You've got harmonica. We'll call that one SEO. <laughs> uh, perhaps a little banjo. We'll call that one email marketing. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it, it's going on and on. It, it could be a ton of stuff. And as business owners and marketers, we've all only got so much time in the day. So the message here is you can't do all the things all the time. So how do you do digital marketing? How do you decide what strategies to use? Well, you have to think about what your goal is. And the only real goal of digital marketing all comes down to one thing, and that's results. So where do you start? Well, first of all, you need to identify your target audience. By the way, if you're listening to this, I'm probably teaching you to suck eggs you know, in a fair way. No one starts a business or gets a job doing marketing for a business without having a fairly clear idea of a lot of the things I'm about to run through. But I think it's useful to sort of think about them from time to time, just to kind of like reset the counter, as it were, just to sort of clear the desk and just make sure you know what direction you're heading in. So you need to identify your target audience. I mean, we call this ideal client avatars. Um, it's how old is your target customer are they male, female, both? Are they, um, you know, what's their income like? What sort of hobbies do they have? It goes on and on and on. Incidentally, if you're listening to this and you haven't done an ideal client avatar or or persona, as it's also known, please contact me. I've got a, a, like a little worksheet which, which can help with some of this stuff. So we also need to think about market research before you kind of properly decide which type of mar digital marketing to do. What's the market doing? I mean, what, how do your audience buy? What, how do they move? What motivates them? All that kind of stuff. I mean, how many competitors have you got? What are they doing? Which of your competitors are doing things that think you know you think are really cool? In fact, it's always worth doing competitor analysis, just as an ongoing thing, you know, or just something you kind of come back to once every few few weeks or months or whatever, because we can learn a lot from the successes of our competitors. I mean, you're probably not going to learn a lot from the things competitors do that didn't work unless they were spectacularly bad because they'll very quickly get swept under the carpet. But if you have a look at your competitors and if you see things you like that they're doing, just have a think about how they do it, why they do it. And if they've been doing these things for a long time, there's probably a good chance it works. I mean, in the industry, there's kind of a joke that a lot of designers just go to apple.com, look at what they're doing and kind of not copy it but create art that's a homage i'm being very unkind to designers i don't mean to be at all it's um it, it's an incredible skill when it's done very very well but anyway so that's it so you look at your competitors how have they got their successes what have they done um from this point on you will have the information that allow you to figure out some key things when you've done your ideal client avatar market research and competitor analysis, you'll be able to get a clear idea of what influences your target market to make choices. Do they have pain points that you can fix? You know, I, I broke the, um, the lounge window in my house a few months ago because I jumped out of it to amuse my young daughter. Turns out that was a mistake because I broke the window. 
So my pain point was I broke a window and I had to get it fixed. I didn't go through the glass, just to be clear. I sort of, I swung it open and um, rolled out of it because it's very, I live in an old house, so it's very low down to the ground and it bust. So I looked for a double glazing repair company and my pain point was I needed to fix a window. I mean, preferably before my wife got home, but unfortunately that, that wasn't possible. Now that you're getting to know your target audience, you can have a think about where they hang out. I mean, do does your target audience congregate in large numbers, either online or offline in any way? To give you an example, my brother-in-law is a drone racer. Um, it used to be kind of his job. He used to go out and race drones. You know, the little buzzy things. I think everyone knows what drones are now. So if he was going to start a company selling drones, he probably knows where other drone racers hang out. You know, he probably is quite familiar already with what motivates them. And a lot of businesses start, you know, with a passion. So you tend to get really into something, then try and make a living from it. So you already know a lot about your target audience, but you have to be careful not to make too many assumptions. I'll give you an example. I love cycling, but... I'm not really that into the very expensive carbon bikes or the super flash things or, well, these days I'm not particularly into going very fast. So although I am part of a target audience for people selling cycling gear, my motivation for buying bits of kit tends to be when something's broken rather than a constant desire to optimise and improve. So although I'm part of a, a, you know, a target audience and cyclists hang out uh, when we do things called sportive, so big bike rides, my motivation to buy is going to be different to somebody else's, so it's important not to make too many assumptions with that. And as I said before, when you start to look at your competitors, you can reverse engineer their successes. I mean, this gets overlooked, I think. I mean, it's it's fairly common in my experience that when people start businesses, they do it to try and forge a new path. Um, and it's good to have a unique selling point but if you're completely radical, it can actually make your life quite difficult because if you're going to try and change, for example, the way everybody cycles, then you've got a battle on your hands. And now that you know your target audience, you can start to think about simplifying your message. I think this is worth considering because when we're passionate about our businesses and somebody says, what's so great about your business? You've probably got a list of I know, 20, 30, 50, 100 reasons why you think your business is great. The problem with trying to put across all that information all the time is it bewilders your audience. So again, going back to cycling, my local bike shop, who um, I'm not going to name actually, they, they're very, very good. And the message they put out is quite simple. If they were putting out hundreds of different messages all the time about hey you know come to us because we're really good at bike fits come to us because we've got this range of things come to this because we understand cycling come to this because we're it gets too much you have to simplify your message um one of the ones that i stick with is what I did stick with is make the web a better place now i really believe this i am hesitating about using it now because i've been watching a series called silicon valley which is a very, very funny series about um, a tech startup. 
And one of the recurring jokes in that is that all tech startups say they want to make the world a better place. And my, my kind of my my shoulders dropped when I this joke started to establish itself on Silicon Valley because I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, I've, I've been doing something quite similar. But anyway, find a simple message and just reinforce it all the time in your social posts, in your email, whatever you do, just sort of try and roll this message into it. Because what we're trying to do is, it's kind of brand building. We're trying to get people to associate your brand with this simple message. So it could be, you know, bike shop name. Oh, they're the, they're the guys who do the really good bike fits. You know, it's it's just keep saying it. And, and it does kind of sink in and propagate throughout your, your market, your audience. So the things that I've just covered... Hopefully they've helped build a picture in your mind um, that's making you start to realise that digital marketing, it's just marketing. I mean, nothing has, has massively changed really in the last, I don't know, probably 100 years. Digital, we call it digital marketing because, well, mostly because that's what people search for. But in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of other people in, in this industry, digital marketing is just marketing. There is no offline or old world marketing and new world or online digital internet marketing. It's all just marketing. But some of the tactics and methods that get rolled into this umbrella phrase digital marketing have some pretty special advantages. For one thing, digital marketing is faster. We have the ability to get products and get messages to markets very, very quickly. I mean, ye olden days... If you were relying on newspaper campaigns, it would be weeks or particularly, you know, potentially months between deciding what your message is, getting it through your organisation to a point that it's ready to go to a newspaper and speak to a designer or an ad agent, so on and so forth. And then eventually the, the advert would come out and you'd kind of hope for the best, largely. So actually, um, speaking while we're speaking in newspapers, which still very much have a place in, in all marketing, one of the advantages of digital marketing is that we get a wider reach. So, for example, if you go, if you were to advertise in a local newspaper, your reach is defined geographically. So the local paper here, for example, if we advertise in that, we know that it's going to cover a certain part of the county I live in, which is lovely, sunny Suffolk. But with digital marketing, your reach is whatever you want it to be. It's the whole nation. It's the whole world. If you're doing something at a very kind of uh, you know, providing a very local service, it can just be those people, but you'll, you know, reach those people faster. And if you want to cast your net wider, you can. I mean, it's a few clicks with most types of digital marketing or just kind of choosing settings almost. So one of the other th advantages and the reason people focus towards this thing called digital marketing is that it's much easier with a lot of digital marketing to measure results. Going back to the newspaper analogy, if you pay for an advert in a newspaper, you can find it quite challenging to track how successful it is. I mean, you might kind of loosely know that, well, you know, we made more business that month, or we made more money that month that the advert went in. But unless you're using a coupon code or, I mean, the olden days, it was a little thing you tore off and posted back to someone. Cool, who remembers them? Yeah, that's how I joined the uh, Dennis the Menace Club. Anyway. I'm shooting off on a tangent as I as, as I am wont to do occasionally. So yeah, measurable results. This is one of the things that makes digital marketing, and I did little air quotes there, makes it very, very appealing. If you're going to spend a thousand pounds, 
you can measure how successful that thousand pounds was for you. How much did you sell? How many leads did you generate? So on and so forth. So that's one of the things we dig about digital marketing. So anyway, that's that's still kind of getting quite broad. So you know, how do you actually start digital marketing? If you're listening to this and you're looking to give your business a push forward or you've got a new business or you just want to explore other avenues for promoting what you do, then where do you actually start? Out of all those terms I listed in the digital marketing bingo, blur. How, how do you know where to start? Well, I've mentioned it already a little bit, but think about where you hang out. I, you know, I said, where, does it, where do your potential customers and clients hang out? But where do you hang out? And do you see businesses like yours there? So, for example, if you love Instagram, but you don't see anybody in your experience of Instagram doing things like yours it's possibly the case that that's not the right area for you to concentrate your digital marketing. Another thing to consider is how much time you can dedicate to marketing. I mean, what type of marketing gives you the best return on your time investment? So, for example, things like blog commenting, um, we should tread very carefully, and I'll cover that in another podcast one day, very, very time-consuming. And results can vary. But if you're really good at it, that amount of time you spend on writing comments on other people's blogs, good comments, I'm just going to like emphasize that right now, not junk, but really good comments that add value. If you're going to spend a lot of time on that, but it does get you lots of business, then that's still a good use of your time. But other things like, I mean, sometimes running a group on Facebook might not be the best thing to do. You have to sort of judge how much time you're prepared to put into things compared to what kind of investment you're going to get back out of it. And this does follow on to my next point, which is, which of these digital marketing, you know, what, what aspect of digital marketing can you do yourself? If you listen to the podcast before, you know I'm a, a real believer that people can do this stuff themselves. You know, a lot of digital marketing, the, the the networks and the websites and the methods and whatever, they are for humans and they have been developed by humans mostly. So you should be able to do a lot of things yourself as long as you've got the time, which goes back to my previous point of um, well, kind of measuring how much time you, you spend on digital marketing compared to what you get out of it. Now, if you find a method or a type of digital marketing that does pay off and does do really well, can you easily delegate any of that to other people? This is worth mentioning, I think, because a lot of digital marketing is very personality-based. So, for example, on LinkedIn, um, we focus quite heavily on the individual. And if you're basing all your marketing on your face being present with your message, so, you know, basically posts on social media, you're, you're going to reach a point where you can't do more of that. So can you get help? Can you easily delegate to members of your team? Can you hire you know, a virtual assistant or, or some other kind of help? It's worth considering because if something works, the next question we usually have is, okay, well, how can we scale that? And if everything's based on what you do with your face and your words, it can be difficult to scale. 
I'm not going to go into much more depth than that. There are there are ways to do it, but it, it's it, that would be a bit in depth for this kind of hopefully light and frothy podcast episode. So actually, as I mentioned LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm going to use them as an example of two types of digital marketing. So I'm going to talk about social media marketing. Now, these examples are making a lot of assumptions and they're not taking into account anything about your business. I mean, if they fit, then great, go nuts. <laughs> I hope you do really well. But I'm just going to use two examples. So business, if you're a business-to-business -business, um, concern and you sell things to like professional services or products to other businesses, then LinkedIn at the moment is kind of where it's at for a lot of people. And there's four things you can do to optimise your time on LinkedIn. You can be consistent with your content. Now, there's two parts to this. It's consistency and frequency. So, for example, you're always better off posting maybe once a week, if that's all you can manage, rather than having a few days where you post 50 times and then doing nothing for six months. Even if you can't post in volume... It's still just worth being consistent. I mean, there's a theory which I kind of subscribe to without any without any hard scientific fact that if you get used to, say, always posting something on a Tuesday morning, the, the part of your, your, your target market or your audience that sees those posts can kind of start to kind of expect them. Or you can just be really overt about it. I mean, I've got a client who every Wednesday we ask people to post pictures of their dogs to the Facebook page. It's called Midweek Mutt Shop. I mean, I did not come up with that title, but it works. <laughs> Actually, with any social media, ask people to show you pictures of their dogs and, oh my goodness, will they show you pictures of their dogs. It's, it's quite remarkable. And to be honest, it's one of the nice parts of my job because I get paid to look at loads of pictures of dogs. <laughs> so that that's kind of a very overt, very clear way of, of being consistent with a schedule. But I also recommend being consistent with the type of content you post. Once you've posted a few different things and you know what gets a good result, it's not a bad idea to kind of stick with what you've got. So what do I mean by different types? You could be posting that you're proud of your team or talking about the success of a recent project and you might also be posting about I don't know something like thought for the day or, or something that's less sort of directly business orientated and if you notice your thought for the day gets much better reach and gets much more comments than than in your other types of content then do more of that keep coming back to this point that digital marketing is about figuring out what works and then doing more of the good stuff also on LinkedIn, expand your network. You can send, I can't remember the exact number, but you can send a fair number of requests, connection requests on LinkedIn. And a, to be honest, fairly small percentage of people will accept your request. But it's worth doing. I mean, this is another thing that I recommend clients of, of mine do in very small ways, but consistently. So if you want to expand your network, you know, try and add five people a day. It doesn't necessarily have to be more than that. It all stacks up. When you see these people on LinkedIn who've got tens of thousands of followers, I think 30,000 is the maximum, actually, they started with nothing. You know, from small acorns do mighty oaks grow. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I would say with LinkedIn is don't be indiscriminate. 
you've only got so much time for any of this. So if you want to use LinkedIn specifically to get clients or customers, then aim at your target audience. This is particularly easy if you pay for Sales Navigator, which is, is a really useful tool. And I think they're doing a free month trial kind of in fairly permanently. So go into Sales Navigator or just standard LinkedIn. Look for people that match your ideal client avatar or your target market, which I talked about earlier, and connect with those. That's kind of it. Actually, just, just as a, a little bit of an aside, when you have connected with people and they've accepted your request, don't, don't pound them with a the hard sell straight away. If you nicely message people, that's fine. But nobody likes the, the kind of the hard sell as soon as they've connected. In fact, it's, it's putting some people off LinkedIn and, and it's, it's not something I'd, I'd want to encourage. Sure, you can message people once they've connected, but leave it just a little bit of time and then just sort of a cheery hello or something that isn't the equivalent of yelling in their face that they need to buy your stuff. LinkedIn, if you think of it in terms of how it relates to traditional networking, if you went to a networking group and, you know, at the beginning where everyone's slightly awkwardly shuffling around holding a cup of terrible coffee and sheepishly looking around the room, if you were to walk into the room and just walk up to, to people you'd never met and just start shouting at them, you're probably not going to get very far. LinkedIn's not that different to that concept, really. So sure, message people because, you, you know, you need to make a, make a personal connection with people, but just don't pound them. <laughs> be, be nice, be gentle. Um, another little hint for LinkedIn is to encourage interaction. So when you post something on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, well, the LinkedIn algorithm decides how many people are going to see your post. And if your posts are saying things like, why not check out? Or something that doesn't in encourage interaction, Facebook's probably not going to show it to very many people. If your posts are designed to start conversations or encourage interaction, LinkedIn will show it to more people. I mean, LinkedIn, to be honest, all the social networks, all they want to do really is keep people on the network because then they can sell advertising to them. This is particularly true actually with Facebook. If you use Facebook as a foghorn and just blast out messages about your services or products, Facebook probably won't show it to anyone, especially not if your post includes a link that will take someone away from Facebook. Whereas if you encourage interaction, like the midweek mutt shots, photos, a dog thing I mentioned, Facebook will naturally show that post to more people. It's, it's, it's a really good idea. I mean, you can short circuit it to a certain extent just by asking people to comment. So when you've posted something on LinkedIn, you know, send a text message. <laughs> text message. Do people still do that? I'm sure they do. Um, text message, WhatsApp message or, or whatever you like outside of LinkedIn and just ask people, hey, I've just posted this. Would you mind just doing a like and a, and a comment? And some people will. But you don't actually need that much interaction for the LinkedIn algorithm to pick up that this is an interesting post and to show it to more people. It, it's it's kind of the missing link in the, the promotion chain in a way. And it, it's quite an easy thing to do. I mean, you know your friends and colleagues better than I do. So again, be nice, don't pound people with requests, but the occasional, hey, you know, I just posted this, so this is something we talked about recently. Here's the link, and always include a link to the post if you can. Here's a link, would you mind just sharing your thoughts on that? It's kind of a nice thing to do almost, I think, and if people don't want to do it, then hey, you know, move on, that's fine. 
Right, so that's business to business on social. Let's have a think about what kind of social media you might use if you are business to consumer. So if you're selling to humans, um, not that people in business aren't humans, of course, but yeah, you're not, you're, you're a business selling to consumers. Right, let's, let's stick it with that. So if you find that Facebook is where your audience hangs out and where influence can be gathered and gained and, and you can encourage people to buy, then I've got four little hints for that too. Bet you're not surprised, are you? Right, so on Facebook, again, depending on what kind of business you are and what you're doing, you need to build a tribe. So when you've got your Facebook, your business page, get people on it. Serve those people. Add value. Give them things for free. And I don't mean like give them a free bike, but I mean give, give them useful advice. Don't be a foghorn. Don't just blast out messages. Encourage people. Celebrate people. Ask people to share their successes. Just build a tribe. Get get your gang together. You know, like I was about to say, like when you're at school and you get a gang, but I don't. I've never done that. <laughs> um, but it's along those lines. It's it's build your build your flock. I think is one of the ways you could put it. And again, this this does take time, but it's it's worth doing because people like buying from people who understand them. So show you show your customers or your clients that you understand them. Next thing that's worth doing on Facebook is getting reviews. In my experience, um, and from the considerable amount of time I spend looking into these kind of things, no one's massively exploiting reviews on Facebook yet. So have a look at your competitors. If they've got no reviews, then great. You're a shoo-in. Get some reviews and you're already looking better than they are. If they've got, say, 10 or 12 reviews, and it, you know, review numbers are quite low in a lot of fields on Facebook, then you just need to get more than them. People buy on the strength of reviews. This is why Amazon's just so packed full of them. So, again, just get reviews. Ask your besties, ask your best customers if they'd be happy to leave a review. As ever, don't pound people. You, you don't need thousands. Well, if you can get thousands, then brilliant. But again... Another, my third kind of hint for Facebook is, again, be consistent with content. I'm not going to go through the whole thing again because the rules are pretty much the same as they are for LinkedIn. That uh, in so much as that cons consistency in scheduling and frequency is more important than um, doing everything. It's more useful than doing everything in blocks and then being silent for ages. And again, encourage interaction. I'm not going to go through all that again because I went into some depth with LinkedIn. You don't need to hear me kind of go through that again. But the overall message I want to kind of lodge in your minds with social media is don't yell, engage. All right, so that was just a couple of examples out of that big, big, long list of digital marketing things. So how do you measure digital marketing success? Is it the number of followers you have? Sticking with social for a moment. Is it the number of visitors do you get to your, to your website? Is it how many people you got on your email mailing list? Not really. The only real measure of digital marketing success is whether it makes you money. Do you make more profit from whatever you're doing? If not, you might find that you're spending a lot of time on a particular type of digital marketing or facet of it and wasting your time. Um, there's a cliche about being a busy fool isn't there but 
I can't remember exactly what that is at the moment. Right, so I have given you a very kind of quick look at Zen and the calm, no, Zen and the art of digital marketing. And what I'm trying to get across is you don't have to do all the things all the time. You don't have to be too intense. It's about finding the right method, finding the right thing for your business. So where can you go to get insight and advice? Because this podcast hasn't, you know, I've not, apart from the two LinkedIn and Facebook um, bits of advice, I've not really gone into any depth for, for any other type of digital marketing. So where, where, where can you go to go and get the lowdown? So for example, if you find out the email marketing is the thing that's going to work for you or something you're going to try, where do you go to learn about that? Now, before I give you some ideas for where to go for insight and advice, I'm going to lodge something in your mind. You've got to figure out if the advice you're finding is good advice. Now, I'm not naturally a sceptical person, but my experience has made me wary of any website or anything that's giving advice to solve a problem, and the advice is buy this product. In digital marketing, I say it's for humans. It's for us humans. So there are some bits of software that are sometimes useful. But on the whole, if you are reading a blog post, for example, that says this is how you solve this problem by the by our bit of software and everything magically just happens. I mean, I'm very sceptical of things like that. It's, it's biased advice for one thing. Something else to consider when looking for advice or assessing the quality of advice is is this advice current? So if you go let's stick with blog posts. If you're reading a blog post, is there a date on the blog post? Although the core principles of digital marketing remain mostly the same, as in get your message out there, measure and test, some of the specifics do change. So for example, if you are looking for advice on blog commenting and you found an article from 15 years ago that said, hey, buy this spam software. They would never call it that, but hey, buy this software, you press a button and it leaves 100,000 comments an hour. For one thing, that was never a good idea. But anyway, you know, a convincing article might make it look like that's a good idea. And that's dangerous advice. That's, you know, should never have happened, but it's, it's been, it's very much out of date I'm trying to think of another good example. Um, think of a fast-moving, fast-changing thing. Google My Business. That's changed a lot over the last few years and continues to evolve. So if you're looking for advice on how to make the most of Google My Business and you're reading a blog post from two years ago, it's not so much that it's going to be dangerously out of date. It's more of the case that it's going to miss miss out advising you about some of the kind of the cool new functionality. I mean, this this develops all the time. You can now declare if your business is women-led on, on um, Google My Business. You know, they're, they're always adding functions. Basically, Google desperately wants a social network and keeps failing at trying to make one. Anyway, that's a, another aside. So, yeah, when you find some advice, look for the date. How old is it? So what sources do I think are solid gold which are the ones that you can always kind of rely on well um free talks given by local business sorts um sorry business sorts i keep creeping into like this ipswich language and i'm doing my podcast i'm trying not to 
Um, what do I mean? Uh, local to here, where I am in Ipswich in the UK, there's several groups who give or they facilitate and host free talks. Um, in fact, this podcast is based on a talk I gave to a local um, business group last night, which is, is why it's kind of fresh in my mind. The people that they, these these kind of groups, it might be a chamber of commerce actually or whatever as well. You know, there's lots of opportunities, uh, lots of variants. But the people who book the speakers tend to have a very good filter and they tend to avoid the people who are going to come and talk at an event and just do the hard sell because people like that, no one likes that. So the quality of speakers at especially local tech groups and that there are now there's thousands of them tends to be pretty good. So where else can you go to for insight and advice that's kind of usually quite spot on? I think you can get this from peer conversations. So fellow business bods, other people in the trade, um, other people in business, other people who do marketing. It's it's one of the things um, I kind of miss about the in-person networking is that you can overhear a conversation or be part of a conversation sometimes. And you might be talking about, you know, I really ought to get into email marketing. And somebody might turn around and go, do you know, what? We, we started off on that path six months ago. Oh, really? What did you learn? Well, we learned blah, blah. You know, you can pick up a lot of experience that, that can be very, very useful to you. So I honestly think just hanging out with people in similar situations and just being brave enough to talk about digital marketing is quite a good way to learn a lot of things. You might be well served to be a little sceptical because people will celebrate their successes and diminish their failures. Sorry, failures is too harsh. But, you know, they they if they're having initial success with something, they might be very, very rightly very proud of it, but it might not be a good long-term strategy. I could have just switched on this podcast, you know, the recording software for this podcast and just said, do simple stuff, be sceptical. But, you know, that would have been a brief episode. So <laughs> what other sources? Um, any, any kind of platform, so any website, any magazine or anything like that, that has good reviews. I mean, I said earlier that people buy from reviews. I, we all judge from reviews as well. It might not be reviews for blog posts. It might not be reviews in the way you're typically thinking. There might not be like, hey, 10 five-star reviews. It might just be that the comment section on that article or blog has people saying good things about it. So that's that's another kind of good way of judging the uh, the authority and the quality of the advice. Anyway, I've been talking for, oh my goodness, 40 minutes. Well, first of all, thanks for sticking around. I mean, this is one of my longer episodes. <laughs> so let's, let's try and start wrapping things up. Right, there are four precepts to digital marketing that anyone you speak to in this industry will likely reinforce for you. The first one is test. If you're doing something digital marketing, don't be afraid to do something you've not done before. Don't be afraid to do something that the industry, your industry isn't doing with the caveat that, you know, that might mean it's not going to work. But test. Try different things. What works? Well, you're only going to find out what works by tracking what you're doing. You know, that could be how much time you spend on it. It could be how many leads you get. I mean, uh, it helps me 
um, to actually keep track of these things in a spreadsheet. But, you know, hey, I'm a bit of a geek that way. But on the whole, you will kind of know what works because no business owner or marketing person doesn't notice when they start to get more work or more leads. You kind of just know. But it's important to track if you're trying several different things at once. Now, I said you can't do all the things all the time, but, you know, it's all right to do a couple. <laughs> so if, for example, you're doing a lot of, a lot of, um, lot of work on LinkedIn but also a lot of work on Instagram, and then you start to get more leads. You need to know where they're coming from, and that's where tracking becomes more important. Now, the third precept of digital marketing is evolution. This is a fluid, moving part of, um, of our lives. Things change. Be prepared to evolve. A good example of this is a few years ago when Google started showing information from our websites without taking people to the websites so for example if you were to search for how do i change or how do i oil the chain on my bike google was starting to show information about that that it had taken from say a cycling website rather than actually delivering people to the website for the for the result now, again, like the social networks, Google's doing this because the longer you're on Google.com, the more opportunity they have to show you advertising, so the more money they make. But this kind of extraction of data caused quite a lot of consternation when it first started. In fact, quite a lot of people were quite angry because it was Google nicking your data, I suppose you could kind of look at it that way. But the attitude of the digital marketing industry, or certainly big, big swathes of it, was that you have to go where the people are. And if Google's keeping people on Google, then why not make sure it's your information that's showing people rather than your competitors? I mean, I've got some of my peers, some people I work with don't even have websites. <laughs> you know, I think we're a long way away from nobody needing a website because they perform lots of functions. But, you know, if, if Google or anybody else is shifting the way they work, then for one thing, they've put a lot of money and research behind it and they know it's working for them. So why not join in? So evolve. Don't, you know, don't, don't stick rigidly to things. If, if the internet stuck rigidly to things, we'd all still be, um, I'm trying to think, using GeoCities. I was trying to think of a really old internet thing, but, well, plenty's gone by. MySpace is dead, you know, it, it more or less. Oh, dear me, I hope they're not listening. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it evolves. You can't, you can't develop a perfect digital marketing strategy and expect it to stay the same forever, even if the core principles behind it sound. So sometimes you have to move on. You know, the world, as I just said, the world changes. So the four precepts, test, track, evolve, move on. So if I keep kind of telling everyone that you can do your own digital marketing, well, my goodness, I'm what, 100 episodes or so into this, this podcast now? Why would anybody actually pay someone, someone like me, to do digital marketing? There's two main reasons. It's speed. We can find the route, the fastest route between A and B, fast. We do this all the time. It's lodged in our minds. It's in our forefront of our mind all the time. And the problems clients are having, we have either come across it many times before or we have the tools to get a speedy resolution, you know, to, to come up with a strategy kind of fairly swiftly. 
The other reason people do pay digital marketing agencies is resource. Things like social media, even if it's doing well, I mentioned before about try and sculpt it so you can delegate. I mean, a lot of people de delegate to digital marketing agencies. Some things do just require time, especially if you want to be consistent and get somewhere. And that's where digital marketing agencies can come in. So there's the two reasons people actually hire digital marketing agencies, even although they can do these things themselves. It's speed and resource. I mean, some simplification, but hey, you know, that's what this podcast is. It's zen. It's calm, gentle, clear marketing. At least I hope it is. Come on, let me know in the... Let me know or contact me if this has all just been nonsense. I don't think it has been, but you know. Right, so let's wrap it up. What's my conclusion? Well, really, you've just been sitting there for 47 minutes listening to me talk about digital marketing and a bit of theory. But to be honest, nothing in marketing's changed. It's the same as it always has been. Be the best, do good stuff, and network. Now, networking, I don't mean go to networking groups, although that's generally a good idea. I mean, just get your message out there. Get it into the minds of people so that they, they spread the message for you. So there you go. Be the best. Do good stuff. Network. Right, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thanks ever so much for listening. This has been quite, quite, um, quite an in-depth podcast without going into any particular nuts and bolts of digital marketing so you know let me know what you think of this this type of podcast i, I have favored guests for a long time because there's so much to talk about in internet marketing that i just like bringing in other voices and it's kind of fun as well hopefully it's fun for for you the listener as well but if you like these kind of long more these more long form episodes please let me know okay i am gonna wrap it up there please like comment and share it makes a tremendous amount of difference. Can't emphasize that enough. I really appreciate it. Okay, so until the next time, do good stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm out of here. See ya.